Hello and welcome back to another episode of Focus on K-12 EdTech and the Education Experience. I'm your host, Doug Conopelko, Education Strategist for CDWG. Today, I talk with Dr. Valerie Adams-Bass, a researcher and professor from the University of Virginia. We discuss the influence that the media and the school environment can have on our students and talk a little bit about teacher preparation programs. Let's dive in. My name is Dr. Valerie Adams-Bass. I am a developmental psychologist. I'm currently an assistant professor of youth and social innovation at the University of Virginia and the School of Education and Human Development. So those are long names and titles. Um, and I started out actually as a practitioner. I started out working in out of school time, after school time, working to serve youth who weren't necessarily failing, but they weren't excelling. They were somewhere in the middle and thinking about how can we help elevate them that they can make their way successfully to transition into college. I also worked in the cooperative extension system, again, looking at working with urban young people around ag science. And uh, that was my foray into education, so informal education, working with schools and working with teachers and now school time programs. And from there, just kept digging and learning and found myself in the position of an assistant professor at the University of Virginia, your alma mater. There we go. Go Hoos. <laughs> yes. So uh, most of the folks we usually have on obviously work um, directly in K-12, but I thought you know, when you and I connected, you know, there's obviously that connection to K-12 in your work. So for the folks who are listening or for who are watching, uh, maybe just take me through a little bit. How does your work touch the K-12 world? That is a question. So I will I will do both. I'll talk about my out of school time experience and research and then some of the work that I'm doing more recently. So when I was doing out of school time and part of my master's work was evaluating an in school program, a program that occurred in a middle school and they had an extended day program. And so currently many extended day programs are directly tied to schools and school districts. And so I was evaluating that program. So this program's objective was to improve math and science for these fourth through sixth graders. And so so I was working directly with the teacher. She was a school day teacher who was responsible for the out of school time club. And so I was evaluating whether or not the content and activities that they were actually doing was related to the objectives of the program, which ultimately they wanted to improve school days, school day uh, education and, and, and test scores essentially. Um, I started moving further along and really beginning to look at how teachers and out of school time teachers, so informal teachers, are trained to work with black and brown students. And that came as a result of doing a lot of training, working with teachers in the classroom. I had some experience working with the school district of Philadelphia teachers when I was doing 4-H and they would often look at the curriculum and say, this is not gonna work with my students. So informally, I started digging, becoming an informal researcher saying, okay, well, what modifications need to be made so that this connects with you and your students? And that is really how my work started to align with school day experience and then further along, as I continued to do that, started to look at the content of curricula, what was missing, what was absent, um, specifically looking at also the media images and, and just really recognize that there was an absence of content around the experiences of Black Americans and Latino Americans, other um, BIPOC youth, if you will, and that many of the teachers just hadn't had the experience or understanding of how to connect well with students. And so a lot of my work is around 
you know, what do we know? How do we prepare students when they're going to be in the context um, that is maybe foreign to them or their teachers are not familiar with their own experiences? And how can we train professionals to do a better job of connecting with students in the classroom during the school day as well as out of school time spaces? Yeah, so you mentioned uh, that work that you're doing, uh, diving into research, into the media, uh, you talking about BIPOC youth, right, for folks who aren't aware, that's definitely been something that's been coming on strong, an acronym mm -hmm. that's coming on strong. So Black, Indigenous, and people of color. Yes. Uh, you know, obviously, anyone who's been in and around education, we've heard the conversations around, uh, you know, students aren't seeing themselves in the curriculum, like you were talking yes. about. They're not seeing themselves mm -hmm. in the curriculum, not seeing themselves represented in the spaces. Your work's taking that a step farther and saying, you know, what is the representation of black and brown bodies to steal a line mm -hmm. from Chris Emden? Uh, you know, what does that look like in the media? So maybe yes. what have been some of those key takeaways for you? Sure. Um, and I actually just reviewed an article looking at media and what impact that could have on training teachers, which was totally exciting. I hope it gets published um, for those who, who wrote that article. But how that looks in the classroom. So one thing that we all have to sort of acknowledge or admit, even if we don't want to, is that media is very pervasive, particular images, whether it's through social media, televised media, streaming media. So this definition of televised media is so much broader now that we're watching television over the internet, now that we're watching on our smartphones, now that we're watching on our smartwatches, our tablets. So we have this broad encompassing you know, medium, if you will, that we are always engaging with. But on the other hand, as a society, we're fairly, um, you know, racially segregated. So for many of the teachers, so it, at one point it was about 75% of the teachers were white American women. Now we're up to about 78 to 80% of teachers are white American women who don't necessarily live in communities where young people that they serve, which are mostly black and brown, BIPOC youth, live. And so their first encounter is often the media images. And when we look at those images, they're often negative stereotypes that are really based in the history and legacy of slavery and racism in our country. And so this idea that um, if you look at quite a few of the sitcoms that include black actors and actresses or characters, they're often not interested in school. They're not interested in education or they're magical. So if we even think about, you know, Raven Simone, she's magical and her children are magical. But on the other hand, if you think about some of those sitcoms that are in syndication, like the Parkers, um, you'll see that those those children are, you know, they're at a community college, they're disengaged, they're not really learning. And so if that is the perspective that you're seeing about black and brown youth, then that is what you use to inform how you engage with them. That's a challenge. I think also we want to talk about the music and video culture, you know, and the adultification, particularly of black girls. So you see this this music culture where, you know, there was a time where you, le you listened to music on the radio, then you saw a video. But now pretty much it's the video that's introducing you to the music. And those images are often sexualized, over-sexualized, and adultified images that are then used to interpret the behavior of girls in K-12 particularly middle school and high school. And so what does that mean when your assumptions about those students is that they're older than what they are? How do you engage and respond to them? So that's one of the questions that I've been asking more recently in terms of looking at the data that I've collected and what others have collected around. How do we 
help teachers to move beyond these perceptions or misperceptions of the students they're teaching and also have a critical eye to the media that they are engaging with so that 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 is not the primary reference for how they engage with students when they're in the actual classroom. So let's let's take it a little bit down that road, right? So you said mm -hmm. part of the research is also going to be, you know, what do we do now, right? Mm -hmm. Now that we've identified yeah. this. So what are some of the things you've seen uh, districts or uh, colleges teaching uh, that helps people become more aware? I would like to tell you that it's like this movement, <laughs> but I can't as a researcher, unfortunately, tell you that there is this collective movement of schools of education or school districts. But what I can say is critical media literacy. So that's been around for a while and namely is uh, a, a national association that looks at media literacy and education. But oftentimes you will see that the media literacy and education content is around interpreting commercials. You know, commercials are marketed toward children. You're going to buy Lucky Charms, you're going to get the gift. You're going to go to the fast food store, you're going to get the gift. You know, so those, a lot of the critical media literacy that's been in integrated into school curriculums are around how to respond to uh, persuasive sales and marketing and less around sort of gendered, gendered stereotypes or racial stereotypes that we exist, see existing in the media. But as of late, um, because of movements such as Black Lives Matter, some of the disparities that we've been seeing have been elevated because of COVID-19, um, even some of the access to resources. What we're finding is that there's now more of a push for uh, scholars to um, really lean into working with school districts around racial, what I would term racial media literacy, which is interpreting these racialized messages that we see and really critiquing them understanding like what what is the underlying history around that message who's creating that message so when you think about critical media literacy they always say who's creating the message who's the message for you know what's the the money you know follow the money we've heard that before how is that related but now you'll hear more people saying we have to dig deeper into sort of these gendered stereotypes that we see in media as well as these racial stereotypes and again who is the message created for but not only that what is the foundation of that message? And so that, it, that there's more of a push now to have uh, that conversation be more consistent. So it's not to say that gender and racial stereotypes weren't part of critical media literacy, but they just weren't the primary message that was being included in curricula that some school districts are integrating. Right, yeah, it seems like the biggest thing we were focusing on was being able to identify something as an advertisement or a yes. real story. Right. Right. So, right. so being able to shift that or add the the equity lens to that work, right? Not saying that we need to move to a diff totally different media literacy, but being able to say this is part of media literacy, a big part Absolutely. of media literacy, because it's about understanding where it's coming from and normalizing it. Right. So again, if you look at the definition of critical media literacy, it's going to include race and gender, but how we use it and integrate it into our curriculum, that wasn't like, as you said, the priority was who's trying to sell you something? What are they trying to sell? sell? And for adolescents, it was often also about body image, right? So who do we see in these television shows and what shape are they in? Because girls tend to have issues with body image. Um, so now the conversation is more around, you know, the, the gendered issues as well as the racial uh, messages and more importantly looking at um, sources of media 
because of the internet that's that's become a common conversation where are young people sourcing the information that they are getting and also where are we sourcing that information is it fake news is it relevant is it some place that you can count on and rely as factual information all right last one and it's going to be a maybe a little controversial maybe not um, but I think folks who work in K-12 tend to point to colleges of education and say, oh, well, if this was just being done better at the College of Education, then that would solve all the problems in the world. Uh, I know that uh, things are never that simple. Uh, anytime we deal with people or uh, teaching and learning, right, it's a really complex uh, set of ideas. So uh, as somebody who uh, isn't necessarily primarily in teacher training, um, but does have a, a foot in that world and is definitely closer than most folks who hold those opinions. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what would you say about, you know, the ability for colleges of education to be a lever toward the things that we've talked about mm -hmm. um, or ways that, you know, since you are closer to it, that we could make some changes? That's a good question. I love that question. I wish I got it more often. <laughs> so we've done some research. We um, recently uh, had an article come out called Teaching Scared. And this was pre-COVID-19 and pre-Black Lives Matter, but it was definitely after um, the unfortunately death of Trayvon Martin, where we were asking pre-service teachers, primarily white, um, and a teacher training program, you know, how comfortable are you dealing with issues of race and racism and having these conversations with your students and they weren't how how well prepared are you in this teacher training program to do this and they they, they weren't well prepared or at least that's what they said you know that they weren't well prepared not and, and i i would believe that so i think one thing that schools of education can do and the conversation is occurring now again because of how much COVID 19 has elevated the acute disparities in education not just resources but quality um, and the disparities schools of education are figuring out how can we better prepare our teachers and one thing that I always say is how about we we increase the number of required courses around uh, multicultural education black history um, American studies that those become required courses not optional not just one or two courses and not only do they become required courses but they also become part of the practice exam so that may be you know, I, I want to imagine that that is going to encourage teachers to learn beyond what they're already getting. Right now, you might have to take one or two credits. I want to encourage them that they have to take more human development courses where you learn at each life stage, you know, what you can expect and anticipate because there's some generalizations we can make, but we also know that there's some cultural distinctions that we could be aware of. And so I think that level of awareness and changing what's required of teachers at the College of Education level would help once they're, they're into the classroom. And then I would say for districts, really thinking about about lifelong learning of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Those are buzzwords. And some folks will check off a list and say, we've had it once a year. That needs to be all year and continuous, especially when we see that most of the teachers don't look like the students they serve. That's not gonna happen overnight and we need to acknowledge that. So, you know, those are two areas where I feel like we can start doing that work right away, right now. Dr. Adams-Bass, thank you so much for being on. I'll make sure that we throw the link to Teaching Scared uh, in the notes, but thanks for everything you've shared today. Absolutely, thanks for having me. I hope that this is helpful for folks and that we just you know get better at teaching our students. And one thing that I always say when I do this work is you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable if you want to affect change and do a better job of serving black and brown youth. Thanks for joining us today on Focus on K-12.
EdTech, and the education experience. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and consider leaving us a rating or a review. If you'd like to contact us about the show, please reach out to me on Twitter at theconopelco or send us an email at focusonk12 at cdw.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time as we focus on K-12. Hey.